Can you take your Bible, please, and meet me in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And as we come to this chapter this morning, things are about to go, go in a whole new direction. It's the same general direction, of course. Uh, it's the same epic story that's being told here. Um, remember, though, that way back in the very beginning, in chapter 1, uh, Jesus, when he gathered with his, uh, a small band of his first followers, he said these words that really set the course for the entire book. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That was their immediate community, their immediate neighborhood. In Judea and Samaria, that's their larger community, and to the end of the earth. And the continual unfolding of this single statement is what the book of Acts is all about. And thus far in his account, Luke, the author, has detailed as much. So just a quick recap, chapters 1 through 8 describe the formation of the early church and how the followers of Jesus were his witnesses in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 told of the expansion of the church out into the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria. And chapters 13 through 28 continue to tell the growth of the church and the advance of the gospel to the far reaches of the known world. So chapter 13, in which we find ourselves this morning, is, is very much what Winston Churchill would have called one of the great hinges of history. From this point on, Luke's account focuses on, on one man in particular and his missionary travels that literally changed the world forever. For as Jesus said from the start, the impact of our Christian witness goes far beyond our ability to contain or even comprehend. That's, that's kind of the, 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 the truth I want, I want you to walk away with today that the, the impact, that's what Jesus said from the very beginning, the impact of your Christian witness goes far beyond your ability to contain or comprehend. I want to read this passage uh, with you. I'm going to read verse uh, 1 through 12 in chapter 13, and then we'll look more closely at verses 4 through 12. But beginning at verse 1, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a, false, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, 
who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for the time we have this morning in, in the scripture. As we always do, we again pray for your help in, um, in, 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 in my speaking, in our hearing, in our receiving of your truth. Uh, Lord, we need for you to do uh, the work of the heart that only you can do. And so make our hearts to be receptive and, and eager to learn. Stir our thoughts and our minds. Um, impact and, and deepen our affections for Christ and his gospel. And make us to be witnesses in this world in which you've placed us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so just a bit of a recap before we kind of dive into what I think is, is really the main event in this passage. You'll recall from last week that Acts 13 finds the church at Antioch uh, on the verge of something monumental that undoubtedly exceeded their wildest expectations. Five church leaders had gathered to worship the Lord and fast and pray, and presumably others from the church were present also. Together, it seems, they were seeking direction from God about what's next, about the next move regarding the ministry in Antioch. And it's possible that they gathered to pray over these five men specifically, men who were known to be gifted in declaring and teaching God's truth. And it was during that time of worship when the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Saul out from the five and set them apart. Uh, they were set apart for God first notice uh, and then for the work of God, because as we talked last week, when your heart is for God first, the rest will follow. Uh, all who were present at that time, they affirmed what was happening by the laying on of hands. They laid hands upon these two, which uh, is a sign of consecration that they were being set apart. And it's also a show of solidarity that we are with you. We are in this with you. Even though you are sending, we are the senders. We're in this together. And so they sent them off with blessing to do the work to which God had called them. And yet in coming to verse 4, we are reminded that it was the Holy Spirit who sent them, ultimately. Uh, so there were, there, there were human and divine elements in play here. 
which I think is important to notice. Uh, there was this, in, what I might call an internal call of God uh, upon them, upon Barnabas and Saul. There was, there was God was, was, the Holy Spirit was working within them, was impressing upon them from within. This was happening while, while there was also an external affirmation by others in the church. So you had this internal call being confirmed by external affirmation in the church, which, by the way, I think is just a very good practice. Not only is it a, a, a godly practice, as we see here in the text, but I think it's a very good practice, particularly when making big decisions. Uh, oftentimes, sometimes younger people, but I suppose all people, uh, have this sense of God has told me to do this. And yet everybody in the church is saying, don't do that. Or have you thought about this? Or what about this? And I would just say that's probably a check to make sure you've heard correctly from God. So we have this, this internal call and this external affirmation. I think both are very, very important when it, makes, uh, when it comes to big decisions like this one. And so being commissioned by God and the church, Barnabas and Saul leave Antioch for the port city of Seleucia. It's about 16 miles away. Uh, on a clear day, you could stand... Actually, let's show that map now, Kyle, if you don't mind. So, so you can see there over in Syria, there's Antioch. And then we're going to follow the blue line. This is the first missionary journey. And so they, they make their way to Seleucia. It's about 16 miles away from Antioch. And you can stand on the shores of Syria. It's my, my understanding. You can stand on the shores of Syria on a clear day. And you could look out across the Mediterranean, about 130 miles. And you could see the silhouette of Cyprus on a clear day. You can see the silhouette of, of Cyprus. And so, um, and so they set sail for Cyprus. That was Barnabas' hometown. We learned that back in chapter 4. And they arrived at the city of Salamis, which is on the eastern shore of the island. Salamis was a hub of business and commerce located there. Okay. And when they arrived, verse 5, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue, the synagogues of the Jews. Now, in the ancient world, people worshipped all sorts of gods. So there were temples everywhere. Uh, and yet peppered throughout the Roman Empire, peppered all throughout the Roman Empire were Jewish synagogues where displaced Israelites would worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So whenever he came to a new city, Paul typically found the nearest synagogue and began teaching there first. In fact, he'd later write that the gospel, he says this in Romans, that the gospel is the power of God for, the sal uh, for salvation to those who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile or the Greek. 
You see, because it originated, because the gospel originated among the Jews, it intends to reach the Jews, those of Jewish descent, first, and then extend into non-Jewish nations. And because, and because the, the Jewish people already believed in what we now call the Old Testament, there was some common ground from which Paul could begin presenting Christ as the long-awaited Messiah. So... He and Barnabas begin in Salamis on the eastern coast of Cyprus, and then they start in the synagogues, and then we read that they methodically make their way west through the whole island, declaring the gospel of Christ as they went. And they were assisted by John, notice. This is the same John Mark that we read of or heard of last chapter. And this is going to be significant because John is serving somewhat as a, an intern for Barnabas and Saul, but the what we might say the internship is short-lived, as we will see next week, and that'll actually become a source of tension, uh, uh, which we'll cover as in the weeks to come. But for now, uh, John is assisting them, and uh, and so they're moving from one end of the island to the other, and they arrive at the capital city of Paphos or Paphos. Paphos. It's the political center of Cyprus, and there they meet a Roman official named Sergius Paulus. Okay. This encounter with Sergius Paulus is, interestingly, the only one that Luke chose to record in the ministry on Cyprus. And I think that's telling. I think it's an event, obviously it's an eventful uh, occurrence, one that served as a turning point in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Verses 6 through 12 record the scene, and, and, and there were introduced to two individuals and their response to the message of Christ. And here's what I want us to do, church. As we lean in for a closer look, I think we're going to learn a few transferable truths that continue to inform our Christian witness today. Okay, so we're going to walk through this event, and along the way, I think we're going to see some principles that apply to, to us today, particularly as they pertain to our role as witnesses for Christ. The first individual is a man named Sergius Paulus, and three things are said of him. Uh, first, he was the proconsul of Cyprus. The proconsul was appointed and assigned by the Roman Senate, and it, it is the highest ranking office in a Senate governed province. Uh, the emperor typically oversaw those provinces where there were uh, where the threat of uprising still existed. So, so where there was a threat of uprising in those provinces, the emperor was more in tune with those. It was more of a military uh, oversight. But in those provinces that were relatively peaceful, those were under the purview of the Senate, and Cyprus was one of these and Sergius Paulus was responsible for keeping it that way. Second, he was a man of intelligence. Oh, Now, one would assume this to be the case, right? Given his lofty position, 
After all, unintelligent people generally aren't appointed to such significant seats of responsibility. But then again, given the political landscape of our country at this time, maybe intelligence shouldn't be taken for granted. <laughs> he was a man of intelligence. Lastly, significantly, very significant, he was interested in what Barnabas and Saul had to say. He was the one who summoned them, notice, according to verse 7, specifically because he sought to hear the word of God. So here we have a powerful Roman official stationed on the western coast of Cyprus who'd probably been ha uh, hearing tidbits about these men and their message so that by the time Barnabas and Saul work their way from one end of the island to the other, Sergius Paulus is anxious to meet them and hear from them. He is an intelligent and influential man. Like most uh, across the empire at that time, he probably worshipped many gods as well as the emperor, but now he was hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's hearing about the Savior of the world, and he wants to know more. And so, church, here we come upon the first lesson from this passage when it comes to our Christian witness. Because Jesus is Lord, do not assume disinterest when speaking to others about him. Listen, because Jesus is Lord, do not assume disinterest when speaking to others about him. The scriptures declare that God has placed eternity in our hearts. In other words, we all have what's been called this God-shaped hole within that we're trying to fill. We're all trying to fill in different ways, yet because temporal earthly things cannot satisfy the innate longing for something more meaningful, we're always looking into other possibilities. Even the cynic and the skeptic, though guarded, even they will admit to a need they cannot meet on their own. Therefore, hear this, quite likely there are people in your life today who are open to the truth of Christ, even if they don't know it or can express it in that way. Let me give you an example. Uh, we recently had some work done on our home and the various crews and contractors got word that I'm a pastor. Which led to conversations I never expected. I expected these construction workers and whatever comes to mind when you think of a construction worker. I expected these construction workers to do construction worker type things, namely construct. <laughs> but 
But I very quickly learned that in addition to constructing, Sally and I were just amazed at how this was happening. They would often tell me things about themselves, confide in me, that revealed a level of trust and a sincere interest in my thoughts. What do you think about this? And what about this? One guy told me how he grew up in church, but he walked away. He still believes in God, he says. He wants to know more about God. And so we talked. Another man told me that he, uh, his marriage is on the rocks, and he wanted my thoughts. And so we talked about relationships and expectations and conflict resolution and the importance of including the creator of marriage in the marriage. One day I actually had someone, I kid you not, I actually had a, a tile guy. I had, I had a tile guy ask me point blank about salvation and what it means to be saved. What does it mean to be saved? And how, does, how is one saved? And so I spent about an hour with him sharing Bible verses and fielding questions. And the point is that I had no idea how interested these guys were in eternal spiritual matters until our paths crossed and the opportunity presented itself. Do not assume disinterest. There are people in your life today who are interested in something deeper, something more meaningful. And Sergius Paulus was one of these such individuals. There's another person mentioned here, a man named Elimus, or Elimus, Elimus. And as with Sergius, three things are said of him. First, he was a false prophet of Jewish descent. His Hebrew name was Bar-Jesus, which is immediately curious because Bar means son of in Hebrew. And in Hebrew culture, to call yourself a son of someone is to claim kinship or to designate yourself as a disciple. So apparently this man was claiming to follow Jesus when in fact he was doing just the opposite. In other words, he was just like many people today who claim one thing but do another. Second, he was a magician. Now, obviously not a sleight of hand, pull the bunny out of the hat, saw a woman in two, not that type of magician. No, he practiced what we now would call witchcraft or wizardry. Uh, using incantations and spells and hexes and such. In fact, his Greek named Elamus, his Greek name, which is Elamus, it literally means wizard. And so not only was he not following Jesus as he claimed, he instead called upon demonic forces on a regular basis. And then third, the third thing we learn about him is that he opposed Barnabas and Saul and he tried to persuade Sergius away from the gospel. <clears throat> now, if Sergius was to receive the gospel and begin trusting Christ, Elamus would be out of a job. 
Sergius would no longer need him to mediate the spirit world because Sergius would have the Holy Spirit living within him. So fearing the loss of money and power, Elamus, according to verse 8, was doing everything he could to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So picture this. Here we have Barnabas and Saul on one side and Elamus on the other with Sergius caught in a tug of war between truth and error. I picture it like Sergius being that guy who has an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder, and he's trying to decide who to believe and which way to go. These guys are preaching the gospel, and they're being opposed at every turn. Now, have you ever been in a situation like that? where you're sharing Christ with someone while someone else is trying to argue your every point. I've been in situations where both interest and indifference were in play. Times when I've engaged someone about Jesus or spiritual things, maybe there's a group of people and and one person is very interested and the next person is totally disinterested. I've been in those situations. I mean, honestly, that happens at church all the time. Like there's hardly a Sunday that goes by where I don't look out and uh, and on one hand I see someone who's hanging on every word and 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 then I may look over here and someone is as disinterested. I didn't mean over here literally. But sorry about that, Jim. But but like, but I, I've been in those situations of 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 interest and disinterest all the time. You have too. But but this was far more than that. This wasn't indifference. This was outright opposition. Barnabas and Saul are sharing Christ. Elamus is is disputing every word, and I just want you to put yourself in their shoes. How would you respond to that? Would you back down? I don't want to make a scene. I'll bite my lip. Would you ask to speak with Sergius privately? Excuse me, sir. Is there somewhere we can go where we can talk alone? Or would you just wait? Would you just walk away and wait for another opportunity? Here we discover a second important lesson from this passage. When sharing Christ, don't wait for the perfect opportunity. Just take the ones that are given you. The conditions were not ideal, obviously. But Paul did not back down or wait for another time. Instead, he took the opportunity that was presented 
and he presented the gospel. Look at verses 9 through 11. But Saul, who was also called Paul, this is, this is the first time, this, this is the first time in the book of Acts that he's called Paul. This is the turning point. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looks, looked intently at him. I'll pause right there. I, can you imagine that look? Like, I just love to imagine, I would have loved to have seen that look. I imagine it being a mixture of righteous anger and holy indignation as Paul's eyes filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like, like the eyes of the Lord are like beaming through Paul's eyes and, and sees right through this sham and charade and, and then, of course, with all of the tact and all of the politeness that he could muster, he said, you son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, snap, as some would say. No, they don't say that anymore? Okay, no? Okay. Oh, what do we say now? What do we say? What do we say? Talk to me, daughters. What do we say? Okay, all right. I love my family. Whatever they say. it's very clear that Paul hadn't read Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. (laughs) And so we come to a third witnessing principle. Oh my goodness. Beloved, hear this. Truth isn't always politically correct, nor should it be. Truth isn't always politically correct, nor should it be. Listen, I agree. Uh, We should never, we should never be unnecessarily offensive. We should take every step possible to be mindful of another's situation and be considerate. Just be like common courtesy. We, we should take every step possible to, to, to be courteous, every step possible. I agree that winsomeness should be part of our witness, but I think you'll agree with me on this. I think sometimes we are so careful to not offend that we lose our witness altogether. Actually, it's not even that we lose it. It's not even that we lose our way. It's that we choose to leave it behind. It's like, I'm not even going to take my witness with me. We forget who we are and what we're about. You see, the Bible says that we are the aroma of Christ in this world. And to some, it says, to some who are perishing in sin and they have no interest in Jesus, just like they didn't have interest in Jesus, when Jesus was with them. To, to those, we're, we're like, the Bible says, we're like a stench 
from death to death. But to others who hear of Jesus and turn from their sins and and receive him, we're like a fragrance from from life to life. And what's key in all of this, what's key to remember in, in either case is that we don't get to decide how we're perceived. We don't get to decide. We just do our part. Our role is we just move forward as ambassadors for Christ and some think this and some think that and we don't get to decide. Our role is to share the good news of Christ even, even if it means offending some. And my goodness, I say that with all of the graciousness possible. Don't go pick a fight. Don't stick your finger in people's faces. Don't kick them while they're down. But at the same time, do not complicate what God's made clear. I mean, isn't that what basically what Paul means when he when he tells uh, Elamus to stop making crooked what God has made straight? It's like saying, "Listen, listen. I'm trying to explain the greatest truth in life." He's saying, "I'm trying to to tell you and and him about." about life in Jesus Christ, but you're confusing everything. You're convoluting everything. You're twisting the truth and you're, you're trying to deceive. So listen, just shut up, he says. Just shut up and, 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 and you son of the devil and just back off. And then just to get the point across, Paul tells him, oh, and by the way, now you're going to go blind. And I have to believe that maybe there's some of this going on because maybe, maybe while you're having to grope around and rely on others to lead you by the hand in your darkness, maybe, just maybe, maybe that's what it's going to take for you to come to the end of yourself and have to rely on Christ. You see, in reality, in reality we, we all make crooked what God makes straight. It's the essence of sin, and our sinful hearts are not immune. Apart from God's grace, we're equally guilty of trying to explain away our need for Jesus, aren't we? Always looking for a loophole or a way to manipulate, a way to confuse what God has made clear. Well, what about this? And well, what about if the search ends like this? It's like, listen, listen, no, here's what's clear. Well, yeah, yeah, but, but, but what about this scenario? Forget about it. This is what's clear. Always trying to justify or rationalize behavior, wrong behavior, while refusing and, and refuting what God has deemed good and right. Listen, sometimes, sometimes people need to hear the plain, hard truth about themselves, however politically incorrect it may be, before they can receive the truth of Christ. 
So Elamus is humbled by the hand of the Lord. And meanwhile, Sergius Paulus has just been standing there taking it all in. And he comes to faith in Christ. It says, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Sergius saw what became of Elamus, and, and that had an impact on him. But, but notice, that's not what amazed him most. What amazed him most was the teaching of the Lord. He, it just says, yeah, yeah, I saw what occurred to Elamus, but man, I'm astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It was the good news of the gospel. It was the message of Jesus. That's what impacted him most. And, and, and so with that, I want to I just come to our fourth and final application. Uh, uh, very simply, keep Jesus at the center of your witness, trusting that some will believe. Keep Jesus at the center of your witness, trusting that some will believe. I, I've got I've to share another story with you. Just this last Friday, we had a delivery guy uh, drop something off here at the office, and out of the blue... He asked um, Melinda about some questions about uh, world religion. And so Melinda grabs Andre, uh, and, and Andre sits down with this guy. And the guy, my understanding is the, guy, the guy's question was, um, why is it that, that uh, all of the world religion, the dominant world religions, why are they all founded by men, not women? And that bothered him. It bothered him that, that they were all f- founded by men and not women and so Andre sits down with him and they begin to talk and and then I come around the corner and I almost interrupt their conversation so I back away and I can overhear what is going on in the other room and and my goodness you guys would have been so proud Andre is just uh, being very uh, he's actively listening he's being very attentive Uh, the guy is asking questions uh, Andre was very, very, uh, he took some time to talk about how the Bible affirms women as being uh, created equal by God, equal in God's side, and that Jesus actually elevated women uh, far above the cultural norms of his day, and that Jesus is, um, and that in Christ there is this barrier between men and women does not exist as we see in the culture, that, that the relationships in the church, that life is different in Christ than it is these cultural norms that society impresses upon us. And, but, but here's the thing. Andre is saying this, and the guy, I, don't know, I can't really hear what he's saying, but they're interested. I mean, they're talking. They're having a full-on conversation. It seemed like the guy would kept going to something else, and Andre would always bring the conversation back to Jesus. Listen, Jesus... Uh, elevated women. Jesus is king. Jesus is God. Just always brought it back to Christ. And so when they ended, I just said, man, that was so good. Thank you for encouraging me and reminding me. And then I quickly wrote in and wrote it down. There's my illustration for the sermon on Sunday. And I told him that. I said, I'm, actually, I'm going to use that as an illustration. And so, so, so that's the point, is that keep Jesus at the center of your witness. I mean, 
it would have been very easy to have an hour-long conversation about women, which could have been a fruitful conversation. But ultimately, the, the goal isn't to persuade his view on men or women or world religions one way or the other, right? Can I ask, when was the last time you spoke to a non-Christian about Jesus? When was the last time you even mentioned the name Jesus to a non-Christian? And if it's been a while, let this passage be an encouragement to you Because in the end, what won Sergius to faith was the teaching of the Lord. It was in hearing the truth of Christ as Lord and Savior, and that won him over. This is the one event recorded from the ministry on Cyprus. This is the uh, event in which Saul of Tarsus becomes known as the Apostle Paul. And from Paul's example here, we learn these truths that we've considered today. That because Jesus is Lord, do not assume disinterest when speaking with others about him. And when sharing Christ, don't wait for the perfect opportunity. Just take the ones you're given. Remember that truth isn't always politically correct, nor should it be. Just keep Jesus at the center of your witness, trusting that some will believe. For as I said at the beginning, the impact of your Christian witness goes far beyond your ability to contain or comprehend. Praise God for that. Amen. Father, thank you for our time. Impress these truths upon us day by day. Um, We trust that you are refining us and growing us as Christian witnesses, and we believe that that continues even today. So take these truths from your word and... um, And make us to be maybe just a little bit more equipped, a little bit better ambassadors than what we were when we came in this morning. We'll give you all the praise. Amen.